Hi everyone, my name is Ryan Alexander and I serve as the lead pastor at Hosanna. As we've been saying for years, we believe the Lord led you here. And we hope that what you hear today will encourage you to take a step forward in your faith journey and help you look more like Jesus. After today's message, I encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Good morning, church. Good morning. Oh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to get to gather on another Sunday morning with all of you at all of our campuses. Anybody joining us online, it is a good day to be in the house of the Lord. My name is Jen Alexander, Pastor Jen, and I want to extend a really special welcome to anybody who might be a guest among us today. Particularly, I'm thinking about the families and the friends of our babies that are being baptized. What an exciting day, and we're just really grateful that you are here and that you are going to go on the journey with us that we are on this year, a year with Jesus, and we'll be talking about that in just a moment. But first, I get to bring a a word of update, a word of instruction for us as a church. You are all aware that a horrific earthquake occurred across the world, and all of us have been asking the question, what can we do, what can we do? Um, And some of you really have specifically been asking, what is Hosanna's response gonna be? And so let me just bring that to you. Leadership has been prayerful and, and really asking questions about the best kind of help that we can bring. And so I'm I'm gonna give you your marching orders. It's three things. The first one is prayer. And I don't throw that out there as like, oh yeah, remember to pray. And you know, like that's a casual thing. That's an important thing. We did it together as a church last week. We will continue to pray for God's provision and for God to show up in the midst of that devastation. So pray. The second is serve, and there's a very specific way how. We all know that we have, feed, we have Feed My Starving Children here in our community. Feed My Starving Children is ramping up their production to be able to provide emergency meals to this place in the world, but they need volunteers. They need us to show up. They need us to grab our friends, grab our community group, grab our family, the people in our life, and sign up on their website for a slot to go and pack meals sometime in the next couple of weeks, so would you consider serving? And then the last one, and really important, is give. Um, at Hosanna, we, we believe in giving away the resources that we have when the people need it. That's who we are as Jesus followers. You might remember about a year ago, if you were around, that we gave a, a special offering when, when the crisis hit in Ukraine. We wanna do the same thing right now. And so on the screen, there is a QR code. If you've never used one of those before, here's how they work. You're gonna open up your camera. You just point it at the screen and a link will show up. You click on that and it will open so that you can give directly to this special offering. Otherwise, that information also lives in the Hosanna app and and lives on the Hosanna website if you wanna find out specifically what organizations will be giving to and the difference that will make. So thank you ahead of time for doing that, church. And, And Lord, we pray over this offering. We pray that by your spirit, you would, you would make us more generous than we are in our natural selves. Um, Lord, and we pray for every dollar that is given, God, that it would go to help people that you love. In Jesus' name and all God's church said, amen. Amen. All right. All right. Let's jump in to today's message. We are in week seven of a 52-week journey of a year with Jesus. A year with Jesus. We want to know him more. We wanna be with him more. Our prayer as a church is Jesus, come and reveal yourself to us again. Reveal, to yourself, reveal yourself to us in a renewed way because here is what we know. Here is what we can confess together as a church. That even for those of us who have grown up hearing about Jesus, even those of us who maybe stream into the church every week to worship Jesus, we can confess that sometimes our vision of who Jesus is gets clouded. It gets cloudy. It gets clouded by by culture. It gets clouded by politics. 
both sides, we gotta confess that. It gets clouded by our histories, it gets clouded by the people in our lives who don't represent him particularly well, it gets clouded by a whole lot of things, and so this year we are saying, Jesus, would you make yourself clear to us again? We wanna see you, Jesus. And so the last uh, few weeks, we've been in a, in a little mini-series that we called, Who Is This Man? Who is this man? Because when we go back to the Gospels, when we go back to the stories, one of the things we see is that when Jesus arrived on the scene, people had to figure out what to do with him. They had to figure out where to put him, what, what category to put him in, what box to put him in. Who is this man? And over the last couple of weeks, we looked at a, at a couple of the, the boxes that were options for people and are still options for people today. The first one is that people put Jesus in the box of an extraordinary teacher. Oh, we know he was an extraordinary teacher. We know that thousands of people would come just to marvel at his wisdom. And that's still true today. But we saw that, that it's problematic to keep Jesus in the box of simply an extraordinary teacher because one of the things he taught is that he was sent from God, that he was the son of God, which caused some people to say, you're an extraordinary teacher, but about that you are lying, you are a liar. And then the other category we've looked at is that Jesus may well have just been crazy. That's how some people wrote him off. This guy's crazy. He's doing some crazy stuff, some crazy healing. I don't know how he's doing it, but he's just a magical whatever lunatic. We're fascinated by him, but we're not gonna pledge allegiance to him. We're not gonna worship him, right? So we've seen over the last couple of weeks that, that both of those boxes, the box of an extraordinary teacher but a liar and an extraordinary healer but a lunatic, both of those boxes really are full of holes. And so if Jesus is not a liar and he's not a lunatic, he might just be who he said he is. He might just be. Lord. I'm gonna tell you a story from my week. I was cooking dinner this week, chopping up vegetables, and my middle son, his name is Pax, uh, came in through the garage door and he said, Mom, come here, you gotta come look at this. You gotta come see something. And I'm gonna tell you, I didn't even move. Didn't even move, why? Because I have three sons, people. Do you think this is the first time that I've ever been tricked Mom, come see this, only to walk outside and have a snowball thrown at me or like a Nerf gun shot at me, right? So I did not even move and I said, nice try, Pax, I'm not coming. But he kept after me. No, Mom, this time I'm serious. I'm serious, there's really something you need to come see. So I put down my stuff and I walk out our garage door and it turned out there was something to see. We had a giant possum in our garage. hiding underneath my van. And that's not a real picture of the possum, okay? I didn't have my wits about me enough to take that picture, but that's what it felt like to me, okay? That's what it felt like to me. And wouldn't you know that Ryan was gone? <laughs> Ryan was gone. Ryan was coaching a basketball practice. And so here I am with my boys freaking out and we have a possum in our garage. And so what I did is I called over this really big burly neighbor who's like a hunter. And I said, can you please come help me? He wasn't even phased. He just got a rake, scooted him out of our garage and that was that. But why did I tell you this story? Because I was inclined not to believe my kid. But it turned out he was telling the truth. And so it went with Jesus. Today we are going to be in an incredible story in the Bible. It is found in Mark chapter eight. So if you have a Bible with you, please open it. Please open it, be reading along with me. 
We're gonna be starting in verse 27. And verse 27 marks a transition. Before this time, Jesus and his disciples have been staying and ministering in the area of Galilee. And there's been a whole lot going on in Jesus' ministry. He's been healing a lot of people. The feeding of the 4,000 just happened. And so understandably, crowds are kind of coming around Jesus and his disciples at a bit of a suffocating pace. And so verse 27 marks a transition where they move away from Galilee to another area. Verse 27 says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the, went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And we're gonna keep reading. But it's just worth noting that that simple sentence, going from Galilee to Caesarea Philippi, actually was a 25 to 30 mile distance. So it would be like me setting out with a few friends here from the Lakeville campus and walking all the way to the Shakopee campus. Like that is a long ways, it is a long walk. But when we read the Gospels, we see that very often Jesus has important formative conversations with his disciples on the way while they're walking. Walking is a wonderful time to have an important conversation. And so we read on. He says, as they were walking along the road, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? This is really the question that we're after in this mini-series right now. And their responses are interesting when he says, you know, so guys, the people that you've been around, the people you hang out with, your friends, your family, when, when you're around the crowds, what are you overhearing? What are people saying about me? Here's their response. Well, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. These are some bizarre responses. I think they demonstrate how confused people were, how, how they just could not figure out what box to put him in. So one of the boxes they threw out is, well, maybe he's John the Baptist, which makes no sense because John the Baptist lived at the same time. People knew John the Baptist. So what are they saying? This is two, you know, two people, one spirit, doesn't even make any sense. Then they said, oh, maybe he's Elijah. They're trying to make sense of it that way. Elijah was a prophet that lived 900 years before, and so maybe Jesus is some kind of reincarnation of Elijah. We're trying to figure it out. The last category they say is, you know, they're saying that you're a prophet. And that one is kind of a catch-all. That makes sense. You're a guy who's sent, sent by God. You're saying some important stuff on behalf of God. All boxes that they are trying to figure out where to put him. Verse 29. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Hearing what everybody else is saying about me, but how about you? Who do you say that I am? I think that's a question that we should pause to take in because it really is the most important question to Jesus then and now. Who do you say that I am? Well, the first person to speak up is not surprising. If you know anything about the disciples, you know Peter is the fiery one. He is fiery and he's really the de facto leader of the group. So when he speaks up, he's really speaking on behalf of all of them when he replies, you are the Messiah. That's who we believe you are. We believe that you are the Messiah. And this is a big moment in the story. This is a big moment because this is the moment when Jesus' followers, those who are closest to him, believe and then confess it with their mouths. We believe that you are Lord. That's the box that we put you in. Jesus but Jesus warned them 
not to tell anyone about him. That's an interesting response. Peter says, you're the Messiah. That's who we believe you are. And instead of Jesus saying, yes, that's true, and talking about it, instead he says, shh, shh. Implying, you're right, that's true, that's true, but you've gotta stay quiet about it. Stay quiet about it. Isn't that strange? Why would he be saying be quiet about it? Because we have to know that at this time, For the Jewish people who have been waiting for their Messiah for hundreds of years, so much of their scriptures are pointing to the day when this Messiah would come. For Jesus to say, I'm him, was a blasphemous claim. Make no mistake, blasphemous claim. For the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, remember, they would eventually kill him for making this claim. And so right now, Jesus says, it's not time for that yet. So it's called the messianic secret in the book of Mark. So he says, don't tell anybody, but now that you know that that's who I am, I can now let you in on what's going to happen next, what has to happen next. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man, which is another phrase meaning the Messiah, must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, he would be killed. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. So Jesus says to his followers, you're right, I'm the Messiah. And what that means is that I have tremendous suffering in front of me. And you would think that the disciples would lean in. They would say, oh, no, Jesus. Their hearts would go out to him. It would be sadness. It would be solidarity. It would be anything. But what happens next? Here is what happens next. As Jesus talked about this openly with his disciples, the fact that he is going to suffer and die, Peter, the fiery one, took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things began to reprimand him. When I read that, I get a little bit like sweaty, like my chest feels tight. Like Peter, what on earth? He would dare to say, Jesus, we need to have a man-to-man talk. Come here. Come here. I'm gonna call you on the carpet. What is going on here? What is going on here? Why is Peter mad? When Jesus says, I'm about to suffer and die, Peter says, oh no, you're not. Why? because Peter had expectations for the Messiah. Peter had expectations for the Lord. Peter was a Jewish man, and when they looked ahead to their Messiah, it was attached to a very specific hope. It was attached to the specific hope that when the Messiah came, he would come to conquer their enemies. The Jews had been under the thumb of many nations. Right now, they're under the thumb of the Romans, and the Jews want freedom. They want to be saved, and they believe that when the Messiah comes, that's what he's coming to do, is to set them free from oppression. But now, Jesus is talking about suffering and dying? Hold on a minute. That's not how things are supposed to go. And so Peter says, Jesus, I need to talk to you. And I wish that we could hear what he had to say. I wish we could hear the words, but I'm sure they sounded something like this. How about this? Jesus, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You are the Messiah. You're the one who came to save us, remember? So what is all this stuff about suffering and dying? No, 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 no. We need you, Jesus, to rise up and conquer. We need you, Jesus, to be strong. Giving Jesus a pep talk, right? We need you to be strong, Jesus. 
And I just wonder if we see it, I wonder if we hear it, and I wonder if we would submit ourselves to confess that we do this too sometimes. I know I do this too sometimes. That when I want Jesus to be Lord, I want him to be Lord on my terms. I wanna bend my knee, Jesus, if you'll make my life better. Bend my knee, Jesus, if you'll take care of my enemies. Deal with them. Bend my knee, Jesus, if you'll do it my way. And as we are in worship this morning, this thought dropped on me. There are so many things right now in our world, we all know about them, that need solutions. And I believe that many of us are bringing our solutions to the Lord and saying, put your stamp on this, Jesus. Put your stamp on my solution, Jesus. Be Lord of my solution, Jesus. Here are my terms for you to be Lord Jesus. And that there's something going on where Jesus is saying, I don't want your solutions. I am the solution. I am the solution. Your expectations need to be me in me as Lord. I think there's a word in there for us, Holy Spirit. Use it. Well, how does Jesus respond to being reprimanded by one of his disciples? <laughs> How, did, how does he like it? What does he say? All right, this is an incredible moment in this story. I would love for you to, to picture it. It says that Jesus turned around. So remember Jesus is having this like mano y mano conversation with Peter over here, right? Where Peter's giving him the what for. Well, it says Jesus turned around. I wanna believe he gave him the hand. <laughs> gave him the hand. That'll be enough out of you, Peter. That's enough out of you. Jesus turned around. He looked at his disciples, then he reprimanded Peter, same word, reprimanded, rebuked Peter right back at you, and he says, get away from me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. Peter, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. This is a big moment. There's some harsh words. I wonder if you've ever pulled them on your spouse. Get away from me, Satan, right? In a, in a fight with your friends, I don't recommend it. What's happening right now, though, is not in this moment, is not name-calling. Jesus is not name-calling. This moment actually harkens back to a moment that we lived inside of a few weeks ago as a church, Jesus' temptation in the desert. Do you remember this? When Satan came to him and said, oh, Jesus, you should do this another way. You should do this another way. You should lord over people, take power over people. That's how you're gonna get this done. And Jesus said to Satan in that moment and then to Peter in this one, no, no. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, but I have to do this God's way. It's an amazing story. We're gonna read a little bit more of it in just a moment, but I think that we should pause here because I think this story has a lot to, to confront us with, a lot to cause us to consider. Why don't we do it this way? Why don't we think about it this way? What if we got to go on a walk with Jesus from Lakeville to Shakopee, you know, about 30 miles, and we're walking along, and Jesus asks you and a few of your friends, so what are, what are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? I think we'd have some responses. I think we would say, some of the people in my life do admit that you were an extraordinary teacher, but all the stuff about being God, they're like, well, that's not true. Other people in my life, you know, Jesus, honestly think I'm totally crazy for following you. They think I'm crazy. 
They really think that you're nothing more than a crutch. You heard that one? That some people need to lean on so that life doesn't feel so hard. People in my life think I believe in you just so I don't have to be so scared of dying because then I can you know, be assured of heaven, whatever that is. You know, this is what some of the people in my life are saying. I bet we could have a really interesting conversation about people in our lives and what they say about Jesus, but at some point, Jesus would turn to me. Jesus would turn to you. And he would say, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And that's a really important question. And I really do think as one of the pastors of this church that the reality is that a whole lot of people would respond. Well, you're Lord. Of course that's who you are. You're the Messiah. And as we said it, we would mean it so differently than Peter did in this moment in the story. Because in the moment in the story, Peter is saying, I believe, Jesus, that you are here to save the Jews from the Romans. You're the Messiah. But whoa, do we know now? And and Peter would find out later too that Jesus was about so much more than that. Jesus came to save the entire humanity's relationship with God. To restore creation, all of creation's relationship with God by dealing with sin. That's what we now know means. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are Lord. And it turns out that confessing that, believing that and confessing that is at the very heart of being a Christian. There's a verse in the book of Romans, many of you know it, you've heard it, that we we get to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And when we do that, we are saved by Jesus. And it's why many times, you know, in church or at Christian events or concerts or camps, there's a moment, there's a moment that's set aside to say, if any of you want to do that, you know, we we all have the opportunity to do that. We all get to have a Peter moment. If you want to do that, if you're ready and you want to say, I believe in you, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are Lord. And I want you to be Lord of my life. We want to have spaces and times that we can do that because it's an important moment in people's lives. I remember that moment in my life. I was 17 years old. I was invited to go to this Christian camp. I didn't know what I was doing there. I didn't have any friends there, but I was sitting in the back of the room. I can picture it right now, and I've told this story before, but I was sitting in the back of the room with these sweaty teenagers all around me, and this guy, he'd been talking to us all week about Jesus. And then, and then there was this moment where he said, I'm, I'm gonna pray, and if you would like Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you can pray along with me. And I was 17 years old. And I said, I wanna do that. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. And I I can tell you that in that moment, it was not for me that all of a sudden, the equation made sense. Like this cosmic math equation that just needed to be put together just so by that guy up there talking so that I would see it and then I would believe it and then I'd wanna confess it. That's not how it worked. When we get to the point of believing Jesus is Lord, that is something that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's something that God reveals to us. It is not something I try harder to believe. It is something that the Holy Spirit allows me to receive. In fact, I really want us to see this. It's super important. The same story that we are reading together this morning in Mark chapter eight, where where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Messiah. Same story is found in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16. But in that version, we get this extra verse. And it's so important. It's so beautiful. Right after, Jesus, or right after Peter says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, Jesus says this to him. 
Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon Peter, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. You did not learn that from a human being. God revealed it to you, that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is Lord. And we all get to have a Peter moment. As I'm looking out here, I know. Some of you, your Peter moment is in the rearview mirror. You remember it like I do. For some of you, it may be a ways down the road. God knows. For some of you, it might even be today. But before that, we need to finish the story. Because what happens next is pretty extraordinary. After Jesus has this encounter with Peter, they, he rebukes him, he rebukes back, they rebuke, okay, that's over with. Now, and, and Jesus says to Peter, I'm not gonna do things on human terms, I'm gonna do things on God's terms. It says in verse 34, then calling the crowd to join his disciples. People who've been out there, he says, hey everybody, come here, come here. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. That's what he says to this crowd. And this is, this is an important moment in front of all these people. And all these people that are on different journeys, just like all the people that are listening right now with different journeys. Some of the people who were in that crowd were just peeking in. They were just exploring who Jesus is. Been hearing about this guy, crazy teacher, crazy healer. I'm here just to kind of observe. I'm curious. I'm exploring who he is. There's people among us at all of our campuses, people online who are watching. You're in that category. You're exploring who Jesus is. And to you, we say, welcome. We've got a whole year ahead of us to explore who Jesus is. Just keep on coming. Keep on looking at how beautiful he is. But then there's also people among us. You're done exploring. You're done exploring. Call it, people. You've been standing on the outside. You've been looking in. Jesus does seem amazing. And boy, it sure seems like the Lord led me here. And he sure seems like he's doing some important work in my heart. And I really wonder if it's time, if it maybe is finally time. Say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe that you are Lord. And I want you to be Lord of my life. We'll pray about that in just a moment. But who I know most of us are, who I know I am in the crowd, is the one that Jesus turned to at the end. The ones who would readily say, oh yeah, Jesus, you're Lord. You know, that's why I come to church. That's why I'm here, because you're my Lord. You're the Messiah. That's why I'm here. And Jesus seemed to have an important word for people like me. Do you really? Do you really know what it means to follow me? To follow me means that you've got to take up your cross. To follow me means that you have got to lose your life to find it. To follow me means setting aside all of your expectations of who I should be as Messiah, what it looks like for me to be Lord. I don't want your expectations. I don't want your human ways. I am going to do this God's way, and if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna do it God's way too. Jesus is Lord. I'm gonna end this morning 
by just drawing us all into something that is happening in our country right now. And some of you know about it and you've been looking at it over the last week and some of you are not aware of it. So let me bring you into the reality that in a tiny town in Kentucky, at Asbury College, a revival is underway. A revival is underway. It started, they have, a, they have a Wednesday morning chapel service and all the kids filed in like they usually do and 20 of them, only 20 of them, when the service ended, said, I don't think God's done yet. I think we're gonna stay and pray and worship for a while. And pretty soon some dozens more joined them and later on some hundreds more joined them and now Thousands upon thousands of people are descending on this tiny town in Kentucky. They don't know what to do with them. They don't have the hotel rooms for them. What are we gonna do with all these people? And people are coming. You will, if you look into this, you will be so amazed. They are telling the cameras, stay away. We don't want news here. That's not what this is about. They're telling people, kind of celebrity Christians who are like, man, I lead worship. I could come lead worship for this thing. They're like, no, thank you. No, thank you. We want the students to do it. We want Gen Z to do it. And they're doing it. <laughs> they're doing it. And people who are going to just visit and observe their, their observations are, this is not sensational. There's no hype happening. None. In fact, what this revival seems to be marked with, get these words, lean into these words, are radical humility. Radical humility. Jesus, this is about you. This is not about us. Jesus, this is about you. Radical humility and ethnic unity. Whoa. Whoa. That that's what revival is gonna be about in our age? It's maybe dealing with the problem that we can't seem to solve, bridging the gap that we can't seem to bridge. You know who needs to do it? Jesus needs to do it. Jesus needs to do it. Jesus needs to do it. There's a guy named, uh, I don't remember his name. It's gonna go up on the screen. I can't remember everything out of the top of my head. He's a pastor dude. He's 94 years old. And he was at Asbury College. Robert Coleman, there it is. He was at Asbury College 50 years ago when the same thing happened. That's extraordinary. 50 years ago, a revival started. And you know what it was on the front of? The Jesus Movement. If I looked out of this crowd, I know some of you were there for that. Some of you remember Jesus' movement. You were there for it. It was the last revival that happened in our country. On the heels of tremendous division in our country of the 60s, the Jesus movement happened, and it started at Asbury College. Well, 50 years later, it's happening again. And Robert Coleman, 94 years old, got to go back and see the 2023 version. Here's something Robert Coleman says about revival. He says, revival means to come alive to the reason you are alive. Revival makes Jesus come alive. That's what revival does. It doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be that we worship all day long. Frankly, we don't know what it looks like. All we know is that it has a singular focus on Jesus. Radical humility, may there be ethnic unity. How beautiful would that be? Because Jesus did it when Jesus comes alive. And this is our prayer here at Hosanna. You wanna be part of it? Welcome, welcome. We are a church that wants to look more like Jesus. That's what all our banners say. 
And this year, we felt called. We said, Holy Spirit, we believe what you're doing is that we need to set aside an entire year to look at you, Jesus, and to ask you, reveal yourself to us again, Jesus. Take away the clouds. Take away all the ways that we have tried to make you, Lord. Show us who you are again, Jesus. And if that means revival, then let it come. Then let it come. Let's pray together, church. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. It is all about you, Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord. Forgive us for all the things that we've put in your place, all the lords we've put in your place. We are sorry, Jesus. You are Lord, and we want you to be Lord of our lives. We want you to be Lord of this church. So anybody who's listening right now who has never said in their heart and declared it with their mouth that Jesus, you are Lord, we step into that with them right now. We step into it with them right now as they declare in their hearts, Jesus, I don't know everything about you. Jesus, it doesn't all make sense, but Jesus, I know this, I wanna follow you. Jesus, I know this, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Would you come and be the Lord of my life? And then as a church, Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. If we could all get on our knees right now, we would. And we'd say, Jesus, this church is for you. We want your name to be lifted high in this place. We want your face to be seen clearly. Jesus, would you come? Would you come and reveal yourself to us? We humble ourselves before you and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.